This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by REI Co-op. They want to make the outdoors the largest level playing field on Earth. And this spring, they're kicking off more than a thousand new classes and events designed just for women. They're also launching a series of all women's adventure travel programs. The ladies want it, and we're going to give them what they want. Jen Skubicki has been guiding with REI for four years. She leads trips through Utah, Yosemite, the Grand Canyon. I think of, like, when I looked into Grand Canyon for the first time, I just remember being so absolutely odd. And to see that in my guests' eyes, when they get all sparkly-eyed and they have no words, it's just... I mean, it brings me back to my first time. I have still never been to the Grand Canyon and I have like a deep American guilt about it. Oh my God, I'd love to take you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so if you also feel guilty about never having been to the Grand Canyon, or maybe you wanna hike across New Zealand or bike through South Africa with a group of awesome women, here's your chance. Check out those all women's trips and more at rei.com slash force of nature. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches, stories from our writers in the field. Hey guys, Peter here, just to introduce this new miniseries we're doing, called Double X Factor. It's all about women doing cool stuff in the outdoors, and it's part of a bigger campaign, both on the podcast and the magazine, to tell more stories by and about women. Florence Williams is our host for these, and they're produced by Phoebe Flanagan. And in this week's episode, we're talking to Mona Saraji. Mona's a surfer, a rock climber, a mountain biker, and the very first snowboarder from the Middle East to compete professionally in the Freeride World Qualifier. Mona also happens to live in Iran, a country that has strict rules about how women can participate in athletics. Women aren't allowed in sports stadiums, for example. They're forbidden from riding bicycles in public, and they can be arrested for showing too much skin or hair. And in the West, that sort of stuff is pretty much the long and short of what we hear about female athletes in Iran. And let's face it, about women in the Middle East, period. But it's only part of the picture. We spoke to Mona from a studio in Tehran. She was actually supposed to be in the U.S. last month to film a snowboarding movie on Denali. She had a sponsor, a film crew... Everything was lined up and ready to go, and we would have loved to have talked to her while she was here. But then, President Trump issued the travel ban. Here's Florence. Well, so you really ran right into the middle of the Trump administration's travel restrictions. I did. (laughs) Your timing was was terrible. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, then it gave me the idea to raise some awareness about this stupid, if I can say, (laughs) uh, travel ban or Muslim ban. (laughs) Yeah. So that gave me the idea of run this campaign on the International Day of Sports for Peace and Development. It calls Borders versus Borders. It basically means that there is the snowboarders are versus the borders because the sport we do is more of a lifestyle and there's a lot of traveling around it. And it's not fair just because your your religion or where you're coming from or your gender it's not fair if it stops you from following your dream. And I want to go to Alaska, and I will, <laughs> because there is no way I get old and not 
and I won't be able to ride those beautiful spines. I I will go next year. I do whatever I can to go back. So you're you're optimistic that these immigration policies will change in your favor? I'll make my way through it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um okay, so so you're in Tehran right now. I am in Tehran. I'm based in Tehran. And Tehran is usually pretty dry and hot, I guess, right? Well, no. Uh, Tehran is a mountainous city, so it's it's very high. Where I live in the city, it's 1,200 meters, like 1,200 meters high. So the city itself is very high. And the mountains around is, is like 4,000 meter high mountain in the capital city of Tehran, which is the only ski resort in the whole world in the capital city. Does the lift, it doesn't leave right from the city though, right? You probably have to drive a ways. No, it's in the middle of the city. You drive to the base of the lift, you park your car, you get in the lift, and then 40 minutes later, you're on top of the world. <laughs> well, that's crazy. So there must be a ton of people who go skiing and snowboarding from Tehran. There are, yeah. And yet you were the first person to compete professionally in snowboarding from the Middle East. Yeah. At the free ride exactly. world qualifiers, right? Exactly. So, but yeah. how does that happen? I mean, how does a girl from Iran grow up to become an international snowboarder? Ambition. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm an ambitious person for sure. <laughs> but no, I I was lucky enough that my parents put me on skis by, by the age of eight. But then by accident, I broke my skis. And some summer days, th- that summer, uh, I was out shopping a high hill with my mom <laughs> for a wedding party. <laughs> a big sign of sale grabbed my attention. I walked in the outdoor shop I saw a snowboard I was like mom I really want this so I convinced my mom (laughs) to trade my high heel with the snowboard so (laughs) I went home with the snowboard in my hand I couldn't wait for the for the winter to start and then by the moment I strapped my foot to my snowboard I figured out that this is what I want to do my the rest of my life are you sure you didn't break those skis on purpose I I wish they did no it actually (laughs) fell off of the roof rack while driving. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> a broken half. <laughs> and so h- how old were you when you first tried the snowboard? 16. And it was just an immediate love affair? It was. I found like, I, yeah, I I found a missing part of my body maybe. <laughs> wow, that's such a neat way to look at it. So, I mean, but what were the other, what was the snowboard culture like at the time? Well, at the beginning, initially, we were not even allowed in the ski slope. So we had to train in the parking lot. You mean snowboarders in general? Uh, snowboarders, yeah. yeah. Skiers didn't like snowboarders worldwide at the beginning. But slowly but surely, people started to open up through this, to this new thing that called snowboard. And we were allowed in the lift, in the ski slopes. But... There were not a lot of snowboarders, so there was no one to look up to. So you had to Google or YouTube or whatever you wanted to learn. You, hmm. you needed to, like, self-study. But you don't really usually self-study sports. <laughs> you need to right. you have to try them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like inner skiing, right? There used to be this thing, inner skiing, where if you just visualized it, you could do exactly. it. Exactly, yeah. So who did you like to watch on, on YouTube? Were there particular, you know, kind of stars, snowboarding heroes that you had? Danny Davis is one of my favorite writers. And then I used to watch Hannah Tetter. Like, I was watching TGR, Teton Gravity, all the time because that was my all-time favorite. Or Snowboard Magazine. I have a tape, like the big 
tapes. I don't know how you call it, the videotapes, like old ones. <laughs> it's from Snowboard Magazine. It's for 14 years ago. <laughs> it's, I kept it as a treasure. <laughs> it's a film. It's a snowboard movie. And, and were you sort of equally drawn to watching men ski and women ski? Did it not seem like a gendered you know, kind of sport to you? No, it didn't. Uh, well, I, I used to do a lot of sports since I was very young. And I w- always wanted to do whatever sport I'm doing with the guys. I don't know. I thought I'm a superwoman or a <laughs> wonder woman. I don't know what I've thought of myself. But uh, I've always been practicing every sport with the guys. I still am doing the same thing. So how did that work when you were a girl growing up? I mean, was it okay for you to be doing sports with guys? Uh, it depends what sport you pick. If you want to go swimming, it's no, for sure. It, yeah, right. it, yeah, and well, I was lucky that I was in love with the mountains. And hopefully in the mountains, the dress code is the same because it's cold and you have to wear the same thing. So it's an international dress code. So in that case, I was lucky. I didn't have any problem. Mm-hmm. It happened to be a lot of clothing. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you're going to like freeze. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and did you consider yourself sort of a tomboy, you know, when you were growing up because you liked doing a lot of the boy sports, you know, the so-called boy sports? Uh, I don't know if I would call myself tomboy because I had a lot of feminine sides also, but I always liked to kick some ass for the guys. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> Not feminist, but yeah, I wanted to show everyone that gender doesn't really matter. If you if you can be a girl and and be good at sports, right? You can wear your high heels and then switch into your snowboarding boots. Exactly. <laughs> Except I don't wear a lot of high heels. <laughs> <laughs> and and you had a role model in your aunt also, right? Wasn't wasn't she an athlete? Yeah. Tell me about your aunt. My aunt, father side. Uh, she when I was younger, like when I was five years old or younger, she used to be in the national team of track and field. So wherever she was going to train and whatever she was doing, I was like her shadow. <laughs> I wanted to follow her and like do a lot of, because I had a lot of energy since I was a kid and I still do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was following my aunt all the time. And then nowadays she's the head coach of the national team of the track and field. So her as a woman, uh, to me as a child, was a role model. And I thought this is what every woman is doing. Because you as a child, you don't know what's happening a lot around you. You believe whatever you see. So I thought every woman is like that. And every society and every family is the same as what I'm experiencing. But when you go to school, especially high school, when you grow older, you figure out people are really different. And I was lucky. I was lucky to be uh, in such family that sport is is a must do. Well, so um, what about your mother? What, what was what was she like? Was she supportive of this? Uh, before snowboarding, yes. But since I started to snowboard every day, my parents were not happy. They didn't want me to go. They thought I have to continue with my study and I have to like work and be successful. Well, they stopped supporting me for two years especially financially, and I was young and I needed my financial support from my family. They, they cut you off. They cut me off. And nothing could stop me. So I, th- at that time, there was no women that they were a snowboard instructor. 
So the ski school of the slope, I was snowboarding every day. They knew me and they knew I'm a good snowboarder. So they were giving me uh, clients. So I was teaching snowboarding to girls without even being mm. a, a proper snowboard instructor. So for two years, I could earn enough to cover my seasons, living against the ski bum. <laughs> yeah, but after two or three seasons, my parents started to see my success in the competitions. Or Then I have found different ways of being successful. So then they became supportive. My dad is my biggest sponsor. <laughs> Honestly, at this moment, they support me financially, mentally. They're really supportive. They're, my mom is so proud of what I'm doing and... She always reposts my pictures on her Instagram or Facebook. And yeah, <laughs> the, the true sign of maternal loyalty. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm impressed your mom even has an Instagram account. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so now your mom and your aunt, did they grow up in a different era in Iran, right? I mean, was your aunt, um, you know, was she an athlete under the Shah initially? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so, so. Did their world sort of change, you know, once the Ayatollah came in and, and you grew up really under this different regime? Exactly, yeah. Especially my mom, because my mom is older than my aunts. My aunt is like 45-ish, 50 years old. She's pretty young, but she was going to school uh, before the revolution. But then when she started to be an athlete, I guess that's when the revolution happened. Did that affect her, her you know, interest or her ability to do the sports? I don't think so, because... Track and field is something that you do. It's an indoor sport. And any indoor sport is usually separated from men and women. So they could freely train, but in an environment that is actually separa separated from men. But they could, they could do whatever they want in the gym. Okay. Can you just provide us a little bit of sort of context? Like, what, what is it like to be a woman athlete in Iran now? Um, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, there, there are pros and cons, for sure. There are dress code restrictions, especially in the city, like in the hot summer days. It's not so easy to move around the city. Uh, you cannot go cheer your soccer team. I'm actually I do like soccer, <laughs> so I watch it from TV. Uh, or volleyball or some other sports, you cannot go and watch it from the stadium. Um, it's it's not so easy sometimes, uh, especially like if you want to go outside of the country, it's not so easy to get the visa for most of Iranian people. And my sport is one of those sports that you have to travel a lot for finding the snow right when i started traveling was 2009 i had pretty much hard time to get my visas it's easier now uh, but i remember i had to go i had to go through a lot of different stuff it took me two or three months to get somewhere and that was that was that was not easy now it's easier for me because I've been traveling quite a lot. I know how it works with the embassies and like my passport shows that I travel and I, I want to go back home because I there is nowhere else I'd rather leave. I love my home country. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really interested in that because you, you know, you went to these other countries. You went, I guess, to Italy, right? And that was at the first place you went for the snowboarding competition. Exactly. <laughs> so what was it like being in a Western country and... Did it make you think differently about the sport and about being a woman in the sport? Well, it definitely 
changed my perspective. At that time, I was so into techniques and learning and what I can learn about snowboarding. So I was so amazed by how the level is so high and because it, they, they've been doing it for ages and they didn't care if you're a man or a woman. They were doing it all together. And yeah, I was, I found it very pleasant so I could get some time for myself to be free for sure, <laughs> to do whatever I want to do. When you say you, you felt like you were free, what do you mean? What were some of the differences? Well, there were a lot of differences for sure. Nobody really cares about what you do, what you wear, that's not, those are not the priority anymore. Because sometimes here, mm-hmm. what you wear is the priority. Some people that they're doing other sports, they cannot do what they want to do because of the dress code. Um, I think sometimes some people or some governments want to keep you busy f- with your first needs so you don't go any further. I don't know. Hmm. Does it make sense? Are you, are you, tell me more. Yes, it does. I'm, I'm curious about the clothing. Like, tell me more about that. So, I mean, when you're on the slopes, are you still supposed to be wearing a chador? No. Oh, we no don't wear any chador in Iran. Like, I don't. Okay, a so lot of people now. don't. Most of people don't. Uh, and are, are there other restrictions, though? The, what, what are the restrictions? Yeah, exactly. Like? The restriction is you have to cover your hair. And you don't see any woman wearing skirts in the street. So it's like, even if it's a skirt, it's a long skirt. So you basically, you cannot shake hands with the guys. And you need to be pretty much covered up, but not a chador. It's very modern. Uh, Nowadays, women, they found a way to be looking chic and nice, even though they have to be covered up. So they're we are creative about it. <laughs> no chador, okay. very very color, colorful and like mostly I would say. Uh, but you still have to cover your hair. And what about where you are allowed to go on the slopes? Can you go wherever you want? Yeah, for sure. That's why I want to go to the mountains because I feel free up there. There is no restriction for me. Especially as I said before, there is the same dress code: the beanie or a helmet, jacket and the pants, and the same thing. And then I can practice snowboarding with my friends, with my brother, with whoever I want. And uh, so there is, I would say, no restrictions up in the mountains. I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to that. You know, the free- freedom is found in the mountains, I think, for a lot of people who do sports. But for you, it has this really literal meaning. Like, that's where you can wear what you want and do what you want and not be threatened by the police. Exactly. Especially when you're standing by a mountaintop. Anywhere in the world, I feel home. I feel like I'm standing on top of the world and I belong there. So it's the feeling which is perfect. And then I know the feeling how it feels like flying down the mountains. When you ride down the mountains, it makes you even feel more free. Like it's such a good feeling that you want to keep doing it forever. But plus, exactly, that I I have the same dress code internationally. Like when I go to Switzerland, I wear the same thing that I wear in my home mountain. So it makes me feel better. It makes me feel international. Like, it doesn't make me feel any different. But when I'm walking around the city in Tehran, I feel different because I wouldn't walk like that, I don't know, in Geneva or somewhere else. Hmm. So the freedom for you is really, it's two kinds of freedom. It's the sort of sport freedom and and the the rush of the, the... the movement and, you know, the adrenaline. But then it's also this kind of political freedom. 
It is a little bit, but honestly, it's not as restricted as the Western think of it. I think there is a lot of wrong image and a lot of propaganda about Iran and outside of Iran. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy if I can clear some things up for the, for the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that a little more. Like, what are they, what are the misconceptions? Well, most, uh, first of all, they don't even know we have mountains. They think Middle East is a country with no mountains. It's all desert and warm, and we go around with camels. They think we are all wearing chadors and burqa. Burqa is something that they cover their face. Some people, like the minority people from south of Iran, they do. I never even seen one in my family or around me or in Tehran. Oh, there, there are a lot of misunderstanding about an Iranian woman, especially about what, what we were and what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. Like in Saudi Arabia, women cannot even drive a car. So I wouldn't say Iran is the worst country to be a woman. Um... Honestly, as long as I can do what I want to do, I don't really care about if I have to, what do I have to wear. But still, in a man-dominated society, sometimes it's it's not so easy mm-hmm. to want, especially to want to empower women. That's what I want to do. I really want to empower women. And my tool is sports. But I always tell everyone around me to go out there, do whatever makes you feel better and find your passion and don't let anybody stop you from what you want to do. Right. Although I think I, I read somewhere that you did get stopped once for tr- while you were training for a bike ride. I did, yeah. What happened there? Well, it was a very warm summer day. I was out of my place in Tehran, biking around. I got stopped by a motorbike. So he told me that there, it's not uh, legal for women to bike ride, to do a bike ride around the city and I said I think it is I was not so sure but I stood for myself and I said oh I think it is uh who are you can you show me some ID card or because he didn't have any police dress like outfit uh and then slowly but surely people started to gather around us and I put together a proper show for people (laughs) I said aren't you ashamed of yourself I'm doing sports I'm sweating and some people are two streets away, drug dealing, and you want to stop me and tell me I have to go to the police station with you, honestly. (laughs) So at the end, he told me that I am not allowed to go on my bike back home. So I had to call my mom to come and pick me. (laughs) So I called my mom and initially she thought I'm injured. And I said, no, I wish I was injured. I really didn't wish, but uh, I was stopped by police. So my mom came to pick me at the police station. The first thing she told the guy, told him, I assume you didn't have a busy day today <laughs> because you're yeah. picking up my, my daughter that she's doing sport. There's a lot of crime happening in this city, honestly. <laughs> well, what what was his problem? Like what, what offended him about your riding your bike around Tehran? He told me that my outfit is very revealing. It's it's not it were not revealing because I was wearing this a biking pants, which is for yeah. Islamic countries. It's a tight pants, but then on top of it, till my knee, it has a skirt on top. Wow. So that you couldn't see my thighs for much. But he told me, you get on your bike. I make you a movie with my phone and I show it to you. It's very, I don't know how, what is the word for it in English. So it, it can, 
I don't know how to say it. <laughs> so he, he found it not very proper. Uh-huh. And then I told him, honestly, you are the first one looking at me that way. Because other right. people giving me the peace sign and tell me, yeah, way to go, girl. Like, honestly, I could experience it because I was doing it for the whole month. And the reaction of people was very encouraging. People this, that living in the city. That was the first time somebody was stopping me and it was a policeman, which was not wearing a police outfit. <laughs> right. um, yeah, and I figured out when I was going back home with my mom, I felt really sad. I felt that I, I felt like I'm been giving away my own rights. Wow. I mean, that's did, did, so did it make you not want to go bike riding again? For a few days, yeah, I didn't want it to go. Hmm. But then I started going. <laughs> well, and and is it different if you go mountain biking, right? Because up there, you know, the police on the motorcycle can't get you. Exactly. That's why I do a lot of mountain biking. I don't do a lot of road bikes. But that time I was training for some bike rides, which I did with Team Shirzanan in 2015 summer. I, we basically, we were a team of world-class athletes all from Middle East. Uh, we biked across the state of Iowa cool. for raising awareness for participation of women in sports. That must have raised some eyebrows in Iowa. It did. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst all the cornfields <laughs> of Iowa. So, okay, so you bike ride, you snowboard, but you also surf, right? Yeah. Can you tell me that story? All right. <laughs> it's a pretty long story. <laughs> yeah, there is this amazing surfer an amazing person uh, amazing woman called Iski Britain she's from Ireland she's a pro surfer big wave surfer uh, together with Marion Poiseau a French filmmaker they came to Iran in 2010 they found this spot in the south of Iran by the border of Pakistan that is actually surfable they made a little film like a 15 minutes documentary about it and all of a sudden all of my skier friends and snowboarder friends were like showing this movie to get to one another and saying, look, you can surf in Iran. We're not aware of it. We didn't have no clue about it. Uh, so I knew of them and the spots, but I haven't been surfing because I didn't have a surfboard and I didn't know how to surf. Then I got injured in 2013. So so what happened? You were you you miss you misjudged a jump. I misjudged the jump. Well, I was jumping that kicker every day. I don't know what happened. I just overshoot it. I way past the landing and I landed on the flat parts. And I felt in the flat parts. Did you know that it was serious right away when you landed? I knew it was serious right away. Yeah. I w- I knew that I broke my spine. I knew immediately that I broke my spine. So I I straight away figured out something is really wrong with my spine. Then I was ambulanced to the hospital. And then my surgeon told me that I have to go through the surgery, which I was so scared of. So scared. I was crying all the time. And it was funny. My surgeon asked me, what are you scared of? First thing I said, I don't want to have a big scar on my back. <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> no, I was scared of not be able to go back to snowboarding again. That was my main concern. Yeah. I was so, yeah. I in in the between, in my rehab, I thought of changing my career. Like I was, I didn't want it to, but I thought if I can't, I need to do something else, which was making me 
upset. Like, it was so devastating. Did the doctors tell you that you would have to stop? They told me they wouldn't do, they wouldn't go back to my, to the same lifestyle if they were me. Mm-hmm. But they were and not what me. What did you say? <laughs> I said there is, I want to, I'd rather die if I cannot go back to those mountains again. Honestly, I didn't want it to leave. Well, I was lying in the house. Now I was just out of the hospital, back to my room, opened my laptop, received this email from Iski and Marion asking me. They said they want to come back to Iran. It was 2013, April. They said they want to come back in September. They want to make a future film about initiation of surfing in Iran. And they're inviting me to take part in this. I knew of them. They didn't know that I know of them, but I knew of them because I've heard of the little, the short film they they made before. But I was like crying. I was like, I want to go surfing in my country, but I can't. I'm half paralyzed. But that actually gave me a lot of, it it became my goal to heal faster, to, to, to go through the rehab process quicker. Because I wanted to surf. I wanted to surf so bad. So, well, I told myself, you want to do what you, you love to do. So put yourself back together. And, and I did it. I surfed. And it felt perfect. Because, was there something about being in the water that was, you know, a good reintroduction into sports? The salty water heals you, I guess. Uh, I was not even, I've never been a biggest fan of, sea or ocean because I was mostly my environment was the mountains so I was not very familiar with the with the water for sure but then being in a different environment doing something that I always wanted to do and it gave me it gave my courage and my confidence back after my injury to do an actual action sport again and I could feel alive again because when I'm out there doing something some sport I feel alive and there probably wasn't this expectation for you to be great at it because you've never done it before. No, I was not so great because surfing is a really hard sport. You need to be constantly doing it and living by the ocean to be a good surfer. But uh, yeah. that that part when you manage to stand on your board is very similar to snowboarding. So I could mm-hmm. uh, that moment was so perfect because it was a mix of s- Surfing and snowboarding, it felt like snowboarding in water. <laughs> and and what, what do you wear for this? Yeah, exactly. It's a very good question. It, it goes <laughs> back to where I, when I said it doesn't matter what I'm wearing as long as I can do what I want to do. It's not so easy to surf because you need to wear a lot of different clothing on top of each other. You wear like a surf legging on top, a, short, a board shorts, and then... A rash guard it calls a top that it's pretty tight. It's it it's tight to your body, but because it's so so tight and you're going in the water, you wear something loose on top of it, and then you have to cover your hair again. So there is some lycra sort of hijabs. I'm I'm just trying to picture it, and it's I mean it's so it's you're wearing a lot of clothes, exactly. and you're wearing a lot of layers. It must be a little challenging. It is very challenging sometimes, like. When a wave hits you from the back, your hijab comes to your eye, so you can't even see anymore where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so there you were in the southern part of Iran, a bunch of women, right, surfing. What, what was the reaction? Uh, 
that part of Iran, they're Sunni. I'm not sure if you know what is that. The religion, they are Muslim, but there are two types of Muslim. They're Shia and they're Sunnis. They're Sunnis, so they're more restricted. You barely see a woman out there. But surprisingly, they were really open with this new activity that was introduced to them by a bunch of women. The funniest and the most interesting reaction I got was from a little young guy, like maybe 17 years old. He came out to us. He asked, is surfing something that guys can do also? (laughs) But yeah, then we started to interact with them and they wanted to try to surf and there was nothing more that we wanted to do rather than to include them in this surfing scene. So were you actually teaching? Yeah. Were you, were you teaching men how to surf? I didn't. Or mostly girls? I or? tried, but Iski, as an um, experienced surfer, tried to let us know how to surf, and then we tried to pass it on a little bit with her help. But then after 2013, um, I tried to like find sponsors and run annual events every year to teach surfing to everyone, especially to the locals. And we really enjoy when we see a local girl come come to learn how to surf. <laughs> well, so what what is your hope, Mona, for um, you know, for, for women in sports and, and what are you doing to try to encourage them? Well, I hope that someday my women, not just Iranian women honestly, women around the world, we Stand up for our rights. Don't let anybody stop us from what we want to do, either if it's a sport or arts or, I don't know, business, whatever it is, just do it. We are, we are very strong. We are stronger than we thought, we think, and we've been told. Honestly, sports and everything, you, if you have a passion, it doesn't matter what is your gender. So I want to raise awareness that, like, stoked is, is gender blind. That was Iranian pro snowboarder Mona Siraji talking to Double X Factor host Florence Williams. At the moment, Mona's still snowboarding, and she's got big plans for the future. She's hoping to find a young Iranian woman to train for the 2020 Olympics. And she's still surfing, too. If you want to learn more about what that's like, you can check out the documentary she was a part of. It's called Into the Sea. Thanks again to REI Co-op for sponsoring this series. You can check out all their new offerings for women at REI.com slash force of nature. If you like this series, there's another podcast about women in the outdoors that you should check out. It's called She Explores, and it's hosted by photographer and van life enthusiast Gail Straub. She uses conversations about the outdoors as a window into everything from mental health to motherhood to conservation. You can check out the show at sheexplores.com slash podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This piece was produced and edited by Phoebe Flanagan. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode.